0: It's Thursday, October 21st, and you are very excited. And I am very excited for two completely different reasons, but they were in the same game. The over is 5-0. I have ridden that shit every single day. We talked about it on the podcast. This is going to be an offensive braganza. And it's happened (laughs) every single day. Game, game four, it's 2-2 two, two going into the ninth inning. Seven runs. This game, the runs just keep trickling in by the Astros. The Astros scored nine themselves. But you, Aram Layton, were at Fenway Park for this game. So I'm very excited that the overhead, you got to be excited that you were, you're a little part of history there. Uh,
1: the history that is the return of Chris Sale, right? Exactly, exactly. Exactly. View, and I'm excited to get your TV view of that because I was on the green monster, mm-hmm. which vantage point wise is kind of shitty. Like <laughs> you could see the whole game. Every ball looks gone. Like every time a ball is hit to the monster, I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And then, and then you just hear a cheer and it's like, oh, he caught it up against the wall. Um, it's gotta be your
0: depth perception, right? Just oh, depth. Absolutely. like, you're so high up. It's the green monster. It, it's impossible to see, but I was
1: praying for a ball because I was like, if I have that kind of elevation, you know, I'm having my, Classic like meathead self-pump. Yeah. I, I could totally reach the infield, right? And so I was thinking that and I'm like, oh, I, I could to- please hit me a ball so I can prove to myself that I can reach the infield. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get a ball, but Jordan almost reached us.
0: Question Jordan. for you. Question for you before we talk about Jordan. If you had actually gotten a ball, because it's easier said than done, oh, right? No. If you actually got a ball, first, it would be great for marketing if you threw it back. Two, it'd be really cool. Three, it'd be a great story. So what's stopping you from actually doing it if it were to happen?
1: You know, I think just the fear that I get kicked out. Yeah. But yeah. if it's an Astros homer and I yoss that thing back, as long as I don't hit a, an infielder, I'm good, right? It's what I, I was talking about this on my way in with my buddy Charlie. And I was saying – you do get, I think it's pretty obvious if it's intentional or not. If I'm heave hoeing it, bro, like 300 feet and it reaches the infield, I feel like they if I'm a short, if I'm Xander Bogarts and I get drove by that, I'm tipping my cap. I'm like, wow.
0: Do you I'm remember? Like, throw. Do you remember earlier in the season when Stanton hit a home run, Giancarlo Stanton, and the fan chucked it back at him and hit him while he was rounding second base?
1: Yes, like that was sick. No one, I don't know that
0: if that, that fan got thrown out. I have no idea. You
1: shouldn't. If you throw it, and hit somebody in the infield it should just be like you're good you're fine
0: that's allowed so one guy you probably don't want to hit if you're throwing that ball back into the infield is your don alvarez aka your dad alvarez aka future hall of famer the Mm -hmm. dude's bat doesn't seem fair And I'm not even just talking about his swing. I'm talking about the physical bat that he also uses. How can you barrel that many balls with a regulation wood bat? I don't understand it. Do you?
1: He's like it's swinging. He's like, he's swinging in or like he just, everything is square. Or
0: is a perfect way to describe.
1: it. (laughs) It's crazy. The home run he hit bro off of sale to go left on left and hit that to left center. He's so special we always say a future hall of famer it's hard as a first base dh guy but his numbers are going to be so damn good and i think he's going to hit for so long that it's like this guy has to be in the hall of fame i actually don't think he's ever going to stop that's going to that's one of my ridiculous takes where of course people are going to be like oh you're putting a 24 year old in the hall of fame yes i am yes. because he doesn't miss ever he's incredible
0: i mean he's going most likely he'll hit 500 home runs I think we're both on that page. I think and that's like an auto,
1: right? That's like an auto threshold. God, God forbid injuries, but I don't even like to consider that. Like that's, no. I'm not going to project injuries on Jordan Alvarez. And when do you get the hurt over the age? Yeah, exactly. It's easy. It's easy to keep, take it easy, bro. Just swing. But Colby Olson, one of the just baseball writers did a really cool piece on Walker Bueller mm-hmm. and about how Walker Bueller is actually on a track to becoming you know, it, it, at least where he's at now is on par with where many guaranteed shoe in Hall of Famers are, like Scherzer, Kershaw, et cetera. He's on the same plane as those guys at their age, twenty seven, and fifth year into the or fifth year into their career. That that's very obvious, but at the same time, it's like wow to hear that. You know,
0: and it's you like read pretty crazy. You read the article and you you realize that the only real difference is just the amount of innings, comparing him to a guy like Clayton Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw's ERA, his FIP, all those kinds of numbers are a little bit lower, which makes sense because Clayton Kershaw is maybe the best regular season pitcher of all time. And Walker Buehler is is right there just with less innings. So if you put that into perspective, you realize not only is Walker Buehler an ace in this league, but he's on a Hall of Fame track as well, just like Colby said.
1: And you have got to compare them to eras, right? Because it's yep. like the guys today just aren't throwing as many innings per start. That's so you, you can't bash him for that. It's a different game. It's like bashing a guy in the NBA in the '70s for not shooting threes. It's that's just like not how fair. can you. And that's what we saw in the postseason. Now is is you're seeing guys get yanked left and right. Uh, you're seeing short leashes. You're seeing bullpen games like crazy. But I feel like the Braves have been a team that that's been maybe the only team that's gone by feel. I see, I feel like Brian Snicker is actually managing by feel. It's not a scripted game. It's not a scripted. They haven't predetermined all of their decisions. I'm sure he has his guys he thinks he's going to go to, but I don't think it's as scripted from the top as, as it is with some of the other teams and the Braves keep winning, bro.
0: I actually, Braves again. Braves keep winning. I want to talk with you about the Braves and Daughters after, because I also have a managerial thing I want to run by you. But first, we got to talk about Chris Sale and the mm-hmm. fact that he looked like a vintage Chris Sale. He hit 98.5 miles an hour. Sarah Langs tweeted this out. The fastest pitch he's thrown since August 12th of 2018. Wow. We saw. I, I did not see that. We saw Chris fucking sale.
1: Thank goodness,
0: man. And yet this Astros offense, they don't care. And the thing is, we're talking about Chris sale. And first of all, he looked phenomenal. There was a specific at bat against Carlos Correa where he went high fastball slider at the ankle, then fastball again. It was one of the most dominating at bats I've ever seen. Off of Carlos Correa, who had an MVP type season, who crushes left handed pitching. And Chris Sale literally made him his daddy. But Framber Valdez was the daddy of the Red Sox tonight. Framber Valdez turned in that type of performance that we were talking about. The fact that the Red Sox, they want to hit all these home runs, but Framber is the king of the ground ball. We talked about this as well. One of two pitchers with a negative launch angle. That's something Jack talked about. A negative average launch angle. And he he got Red Sox hitters to just drill it into the ground over and over again. Eight innings was efficient, if I remember correctly, under 80 pitches, or at least close to that. He was on pace for a Maddox if he didn't give up a run.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I love that we mentioned Framber here because we really thought that he was going to be a matchup nightmare for the Red Sox, given that he's a ground ball pitcher and all the reasons that you mentioned. And it didn't happen for him in the first start, but the Red Sox were in the midst of one of the most incredible stretches we'd seen from them all year and from any team all year. And they were just raking. And I think anybody they could have ran into, you know, peak any pitcher. And I think they could have gotten to him. So, I didn't think it was as much of a Framber thing in the first start as much as it was just the Red Sox being a wagon. And now Framber comes back in the same place, you know, against the same team and look great, you know. And I think that was what we thought we would see from Framber. Pitching to contact was so big too, because Jack and I talked about it on yesterday's episode. We were worried about both bullpens, but also really. The the Astros went through all their best arms. Graveman wasn't available. They had a lot of their guys not available. And I know it ended up being a blowout. But for a lot of the game, you didn't know that it was going to end up the way it did. Not at all. Valdez saved that bullpen. Oh, yeah. And now you have Graveman, a travel. So you have a travel day and now you have everybody available. Graveman can go too if you really need it. Uh, You have all of your best guys ready to go. Framber just flipped the script on the script on this series, not just because of the score now in games, but also because of just where that puts their bullpen and where the Red Sox are now after using Ivaldi. You know, I think now you're seeing a big flip in terms of who has the advantage uh, when it comes to the pitching rest and just the readiness of their A team guys. It's going to be interesting. Because the Red Sox could also come out and rake. But I think when we look at the chess match right now, advantage Astros.
0: Advantage Astros for sure. I think they're going to close it out. You know, you never know game six, but I think I had the Astros in seven and I think they will finish it in seven. I think the Red Sox can steal game six, possibly, possibly with backs against the wall. I could see it. Talking about Framber's excellence. Talk about the just Houston Astros ability to find guys in the weeds. Talk about Framber Valdez signed out of Latin America, as well as Luis Garcia, yeah. as well as Jose Urquidy. Tom Verducci mentioned that all of them signed as 19, 20 and 21 year olds for $430,000 signing bonus between all of them. Yeah, that's nothing. That's nothing. And you normally see these guys getting pulled out at 15, 16 years old. But these guys were pulled out at 19, 20, and 21. That's relatively old. And they're all making appearances, starting appearances in the ALCS for a team that will most likely move on to the World Series. And probably, we got to talk about Dodgers Braves in a minute. But after I'm seeing the dogfight in this series, the Dodgers are tired. The Braves look great. I mean, the Braves are winning 9-2 to in the ninth inning. The game's almost over. The Astros are probably going to win the World Series, dude. <laughs> like, they probably are.
1: Is that going to hurt you?
0: I don't know. I don't know until it's, it's going to hit me. Because, like, watching this Astros-Red Sox series – I've put the fandom aside a little bit, and I'm just kind of witnessing the offense. And the overtrain has been the overtrain <laughs> is crazy that I don't even care anymore because the overtrain is rolling. And if game six, guess what I'm betting? Or not gambling <laughs> advice, of course. What, what if it's twelve? Don't care. It could be forty. I'm taking it. <laughs> Seriously, I don't care it. what it is because it's just going to go over. And the right. thing is, it's not even just both teams scoring one team gets it by himself.
1: Yeah. That's and And also it's like the first six innings, there's no score. And then they Doesn't just do matter. it in one inning. That's also, the thing.
0: That's why I'm not taking first five overs whole game. They got, they're going to score later.
1: <laughs> also, the crazy thing is you spend all this time putting these, you know, this analysis into your gambling picks. Like this team is good at home on a Thursday. This team is good at night. This player is good against this player. And then with these
0: overs, you're just gonna say, dude, trust me. Trust me. It's just like it's five and oh. But trust isn't me. that crazy? The most analysis you can put in, you'll lose. You just ride the over train and keep rolling.
1: I think managing can be similar. I think everything in life can be a little bit similar. Sometimes you just got to trust the gut, go with the feel and roll with it. And we're five and O rolling with it right now. I had a moment. I'll, I'll say two real quick. I five don't what? Five and O. Five and O. And I was talking about it right before I went to the game with my buddy. And he's like, dude, you know, it's four and zero, right? I'm like, oh yeah, it's four and zero. shit. Like that's not good. That's not good. But uh, you know what? I had a seventh grade teacher, Mr. Smith, which makes, it, days sounds days. So, makes it sound so made up, but his name was actually Mr. Smith. <laughs> And he had a true and false section on our, on our, on our quiz. He put 16 truths in a row. And I remember it like as clear as day because I remember getting to the eighth true. And I'm like, no, no way. Like, there's no way that there's more truths. So I put in some falses and then there was eight, like six more truths or whatever. And I'm like, this is bizarre. We get it back. And I remember thinking like, did you just not know the material? Like this so much seems like all true. And he goes, no, it was 16 truths in a row. Wanted to teach you a lesson. Don't second guess yourself. Now, if you feel something, roll with it. And I feel like I should have applied that here. Um, We have this idea that like the regression to the mean, but like on a roulette wheel, every spin is independent. Every game is still independent to a degree, especially with over-unders. So Mr. Smith, I'm heeding that advice and I'm riding the over. Do you think, Mr. Tomorrow,
0: Smith, do you think Mr. Smith ever thought to himself, you know, where right. these students are going to apply this knowledge on the ALCS oh, he so overs? Proud.
1: He must be so proud. I, I'm holding a microphone in my hand in an apartment in Boston that after basically going to a baseball game and watching it for a job and then I sit and talk to you on Zoom. That's what he taught me. You Not know, too to, bad. No, and 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 bet on it.
0: I'd also just like to mention before I ask you kind of just about the atmosphere in Fenway, how the fans were taking it, just your general feel of how it was at the stadium. The Red Sox, I mean, yeah, the final score 9-1, to one, they didn't really do much. But top exit velocities of the game, they had all five of them. Devers won 113.7. Really? And 110.7, then Renfro, Bogarts, and Verdugo all hit one over 107 miles an hour. So they were still hitting the living crap out of the balls, just getting caught, which makes me think possibly the Bats rebound. You know, the Astros have put up nine runs, two straight games, two stinkers by the Red Sox. I think in minute made, the Bats will show up, but Houston's Bats will show up too. So it's going to go over. But I'm not sold on a. Money line yet.
1: I think that's a really good point. You know, when you have the batted ball data there too. I mean, they were aggressive all yeah, game long, and they didn't abandon it. And no. I, I think about it, and I'm thinking, you know, why wouldn't they abandon it? Why aren't they trying to get Framber's pitch count up? You know, why wouldn't they want to get to that terrible bullpen? But what might be happening there is, is they were seeing the ball well. They felt like they were seeing the ball well third time around the order. And they were just hitting it right at people. Well, you're not going to abandon that approach. If you feel like you're squaring the ball up, you're going to keep hitting it. So that could easily be the case. I think that's a great point. And it'll be really interesting to see how that translates into the next ball game. Valdez obviously pitched well, but he had a lot of little fire emojis on the baseball savant, like, which means you got squared up. So I think there was a little bit of luck involved in there too. He did a good job of pounding the strike zone, but the the Red Sox were aggressive and, I feel like that's a team that has been clicking for now the entire postseason. You're not going to abandon your approach. They're going to stick with it and they're going to keep being aggressive and they're going to keep trying to ambush you. And I I think that's a good take. I think they're going to try and come out swinging again in the first game in Houston. And we know that runs can pile up quickly in Houston, too.
0: So before we talk Daughters Braves, just give us one last how it felt being at Fenway.
1: Oh, man. You know, I've been there a couple of times, but obviously never for a postseason game. And, you know, you're a Yankees fan. I grew up a Marlins fan. So any atmosphere feels like a like a really cool atmosphere. I used to look <laughs> at the cars on my way into the uh, to the stadium and I look at the parking lot. And I would know that if if there were a couple cars in the second lot, that there'd be a handful of people there. A lot of the time, it would just be a few cars on the one lot, and I just know that there'd be 100, 100, 200, 300 people, like legitimately in my section, maybe a couple thousand total. Like that's what it was. So when I first started going to other ball games, I was like, "Holy crap, this is incredible!" But there's still nothing that matches the level of give a shit yeah. that Yankees, Cubs, and I'll, I'm sure I'll miss a fan base in Little and I'm sorry, but this is just you know from my personal experience. Yankees, Cubs. And Red Sox is just a different level of give a shit that you get from the entire fan base. Yeah. Uh, Whether you're at a bar nearby, whether you're at the game and it's just palpable. And like, I didn't care about the Red Sox winning. Personally, I wish both teams could (laughs) have lost. Not possible. Uh, I checked (laughs) the The thing I I really felt, though, is like these people care so much. I almost want the Red Sox to win. You know, I I almost had that feeling. I was like, these people really care. I know. They really do. And I think that atmosphere is like what I felt was just everybody cared. It was like their church. And there's a level of just special uh, qualities to that. And as a baseball lover, like both of us are, when you have people surrounded by or you're surrounded by people who love it just as much, that's an environment you want to be in, whether it's enemy lines or not for you.
0: Red Sox fans, you got to give them credit. They are tough. They stand with their team and they're passionate and they're loyal and they're fun. And Fenway is a fantastic place to be at during a postseason game. Just any game in general. I was at game two of the 2018 world series. Um, And it was, uh, it was Red Sox Dodgers. My, I mean, I grew up in California. I, all my friends are Dodger fans, which made me grow up to hate the Dodgers. And obviously, I'm not a fan of the Red Sox, but that was one of the best games I've ever been to because of so what Fenway could do. And I was even a Yankee fan, a very obvious Yankee fan. I was the guy who wore a Yankee jersey to. Oh, you're Red Sox such, a, you're such I'm an asshole, asshole like that and because I wanted to see what would happen, and what oh. did happen actually was the opposite of what I thought would happen. Everyone was actually really nice. Like, get grinding my gears a little bit. In, in the sense like in a nice way and it was just like good fun and I was over the moon happy but what we got to talk about is that the Braves dude the Braves they're for real I have a question before we even start I was asking um I was calling Dustin on FaceTime because he's a Dodger fan and he's watching <laughs> his team lose to the Braves that's it's a darn shame where are the Braves weak Bullpen, Why? but it's been good. It's been fantastic.
1: It's been really good for them. But that would that like on a macro scale for the entire year, like in. But I I'm I'm say, not even man.
0: letting you give that as an answer right now. I'm literally yeah, not I'm gonna really let. Good. It
1: yeah, I agree. I think that's fair. I. They don't really have one. That's, the, that's their, the thing, and that's something I want to get into too, because they. I think you bring a great point, dude. They're they're balanced everywhere, and they've got the star power, and they've got. The bench, which is what I really like, is because when Ronald Acuna went down, we all collectively said, how could you not think season was over? Right. You and I, if if someone told you and I that right when that happened, hey, in a couple months, you guys are going to be recording an episode about how the Braves are up three one in the NLCS
0: on the Dodgers. What would you say to that? I would say you're crazy. Yeah. I was in Colorado for the All-Star game um, when Acuna went down. I mean, it wasn't during the All-Star game, but I was in there for All-Star. festivities. days
1: before, I was in South Bend. I remember, actually, I forgot about that.
0: I looked over at my buddy, and both of our like, hearts dropped. And oh, we said, horrible. oh, my God, we just lost one of the great stars, the great young stars, a 23-year-old. And he was crying on the field. I and I was it. like, "That so, he's not crying from pain. He's crying because he knows what he did to his knee. Exactly. And I was petrified. Fast forward a couple more months. Austin Riley. Austin Riley has taken over where Ronald Acuna left off. Austin Riley is a bona fide stud. Yeah, it's and great. this also kind of seemed like a prove-it year for him, right? He's had a couple oh, of years where he struggled. Yeah. And think about this. If he had a bad year this year, are the Braves thinking, all right, we need a third baseman? But one now million, 1 million percent. Now they have an all-star. <laughs> Not just him. Eddie Rosario almost hit for the cycle tonight. Again. It, two home runs, a triple and a single. He was a double short. The Braves won 9-2. to Aram, I said, <laughs> when the Braves went up 2-0, I was just thinking, Everyone is against this team, and I don't really understand why. The Dodgers are exhausted. I cannot say that enough. This is a team, their pitching is tired, their offense is putting bat at bat after bat at bat. Talk about Trey Turner hitting under 200. Corey Seeger hasn't done much. Dare I say, Mookie Betts has not done that much. Yeah, mm. Justin Turner left the game with a neck, or I don't know if it's a neck injury, but I know he previously hurt his neck and he was pulled from the game. Thoughts are it might be, he might've re-aggravated that neck. Is he outside? You know who else has been out? Maybe this just isn't that Dodgers team. Think about this. No Clayton Kershaw, no Dustin May, no Trevor Bauer, no Max Muncie. This is an amazing team filled with all stars, but this is not the Dodgers that we thought we'd see in this series from a player standpoint, from a talent standpoint, from a performance standpoint, from every standpoint you could imagine.
1: Max Muncie was their most productive hitter, right? Like, I know this is a sick offense, Max Muncie was their most productive hitter. And you lost him. And you highlight all the pitchers. That's a lot. I don't care if you're the all-star team. I don't care if you are the you know the best team ever assembled. That is a lot to lose. You're shifting around your lineup and you're trying to make up for lost pieces. It's hard to do that. And I think you bring up a really good point. And on the flip side, the Braves, they lose one of the top five players in baseball, maybe top three players in baseball. And they know that they're not going to replace him In one move. So what they do is they make several moves. They go get a Rosario. They go get a Adam Duvall. They go and get... Robbed a home run tonight. Yes. Defensive stud. They go get a Jock Peterson. Now you have
0: three players. Before you even move on, Jock Peterson has then come in and been an all-star in this postseason. Yep. So... And then when Freddie – because he went 0 for 8 with seven strikeouts to start this series, and then he's heating right back up. This is a team with multiple guys hitting like all-stars when the Dodgers are supposed to be those all-stars and are just not doing it.
1: And what I love about the move by the Braves is, again, you don't try to replace one superstar. You can't. It's not possible. But what they did is they took a little – A little bit of a similar, I would say, spin on what the Giants did, which is be 12 deep of guys that you can mix and match in perfect situations for them to succeed. That's why we saw the Darren Ruffs of the world succeed, the Lamont Wade succeed, because they were put in positions where they are most comfortable. That's what they did there. It's like we're not going to get a superstar, but if we take these three players that are, you know, well above average players and excel at different things and put them in positions to succeed individually and kind of platoon them that could add up to be an all-star and that's what they did. You mentioned Duvall Robin the home run. He's a plus defender in the corner and he crushes left-handers. You mentioned Rosario, He's become more of that regular player, but he was a guy that could really help you in matchups as well against righties and and certain pitchers. Then Jock Peterson, another guy that crushes righties. And in whatever situation, you could go with both of those lefties or you could mix and match. And they're missing Jorge
0: Soler.
1: And Soler was another guy they added to that mix as well. They went with the depth mix and match scenario, which I think is incredibly smart. Because you weren't going to replace an everyday player even near the caliber of Acuna. But you can make up for as much of that production as possible by putting together four players and playing them each in their strengths. And I thought
0: that was brilliant. Give Alex Anthopoulos a ton of credit, dude. The GM of the Atlanta Braves. What what a stud. And we talk about this Braves offense and the Braves offense is good. But it's a little bit easier when you're facing a Julio Urias who's pitched four times in 11 days. Yeah, it's, it's a poor guy, bit, bro. They- he, he, threw, he threw 90 plus pitches today. Like they are running these guys into the ground. We heard from Max Scherzer saying he doesn't have anything left. Yeah. When in the world would you ever hear that from Max Scherzer? He could be lit on fire and he's like, give me the ball. I'll find some water later. Let me get through the inning. I know Bueller's fantastic, but it's like Bueller could run into another start against the Braves and just get shelled again. not because Walker Bueller isn't good. It's because he's pitching every single day and his arm is about to fall off. I bet if you ask him how his arm feels, I bet he says the word numb, not hurt, numb. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's
1: what Scherzer said. He's like, I got dead arm. He's like, I thought it was going to go away, and it didn't. And I know Scherzer's 37, but this is a guy that's not the same level of human being that a lot of other players are, even in the major leagues. He still throws cheese. It's low effort. He's never had these issues before, really. I just, I think that they got a little bit desperate. I mean, they were relying on, and this is the Dodgers, that they have players that, are established studs that you feel like it's always the right answer to put them out there, no matter what, it's always the right answer. Like putting Evaldi out there. It's always the right answer to put your best pitcher out there. And if it doesn't go right, it's because it just didn't go right. He's your best pitcher. You got to go for it. It's like the mad bum effect, but I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there's situations where Alex Vesia fresh is better than Max Scherzer. <laughs> like that's just the way it is in the postseason. I'm not saying Vessia is better than Scherzer, but Scherzer with dead arm versus a fresh Vessia against the lefty. Give me the lefty. And that's what they ended up doing in that scenario. But I think we're seeing pitchers get, get spread a little bit thin in those situations. But then we're also seeing guys get the short yank. So it's almost like we're seeing shorter stints of these guys, but seeing them more frequently. And they're not used to that. They're used to maybe stretching to 120 pitches as the big push, but not going 80 pitches one day or 70 pitches one day, and then three days later going 25, and then two days later going 40 and throwing with this frequency that they've never done before. I think that's the issue. We're seeing short starts more than we ever have before. And I think that's how these managers are justifying it. But these guys are pitching too frequently. It's it's just seems like it's you're asking them to do things they've never done before. And I think that's that's a very unique thing to this postseason.
0: I posted a TikTok. Um And it was based around, because I was obviously listening to you and Jack's episode, and you guys were talking about Gabe Kapler, you were talking about managers, game scripts, all that kind of stuff. And I was just, I was on TikTok and I was seeing a lot of like anti this manager. Most notably, someone was against Aaron Boone. And I saw someone against Mike Schilt. I saw some against Snitger. And I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's bring this full circle for a second. Are we absolutely positive that organization is letting that manager make those exact decisions. Are yeah. we positive? Because I don't think that we can really put the blame on these managers when we don't know if it's there's just those analytics guys up top who are saying, put this guy in here no matter what in this situation you're doing this. And they have no autonomy. Does Dave Roberts right. have autonomy over his bullpen. I I sincerely think he does not.
1: And I'm glad you listened to that one because that's something I feel really strongly about is I think a lot of these managers are scapegoated and and these front offices love it because it's like, we script the games. If it goes poorly, it all falls on the manager. It's not my problem. They don't know where it came from. Right. It's like you write a, a line of jokes and somebody else performs them. And if one of them offends somebody, it doesn't get traced back to you and that, that comedian gets, gets flamed instead, like Dave Chappelle right now. Like, imagine Dave Chappelle didn't write those, and there's some evil guy behind it, and yeah. nobody knows, and Chappelle's just getting flamed. Like that's, like, that's what it is. And Snicker, I think, is the one guy that actually goes more by feel, and it's what? ironic that he's actually managing his bullpen the best right now.
0: Cora, too.
1: Cora, yeah, he does. And the one time the feel burned him. But he's been phenomenal. post Spectacular the entire postseason in terms of managing. But Cora is definitely a big field guy. I think Cora is 100% a field guy. Um, I think he gets some suggestions from the top. But I know like the Rays, the Dodgers, they've got their scripts. You can even tell. Like there's no hesitation. There's no, I'm going to go to the first step. I'm going to think about it. It's always just like, oh, this guy faced this batter and he hit this point in the game. Boom, switching. It's like clockwork for these guys. It's, it's so scripted. And that's why I think, it it is unfair to scapegoat these managers. And I saw what you said about Boone. Like I thought it was interesting that Brian Cashman was so out in front of supporting Boone. I think he likes Boone because Boone is an awesome dude. Phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Super nice. I think he's a player's manager and I'm sure the players really like him, but I also have a feeling that he's not going to push back that hard.
0: Yeah. Why do you think Cashman loves him so much? Exactly. Exactly. Because I think
1: he's a guy that is willing to hear him out. And I don't see Mike Schilt as the type of guy that's willing to hear a front office out if he doesn't agree with the decision. We saw him come out with the sticky stuff. He was the manager that got out in front of all of that and yep. said, this is my issue with it and had his rant. He was the first guy to put his foot down. Not Tony LaRusa, yep. not anybody else. It was him. He seems like a guy that's, that's not afraid to voice his opinion. I'm assuming that something came down in either the wild card game or down the stretch and he wanted to do something and he wasn't allowed to. And that's the philosophical differences that that were referenced. That's going to be an interesting thing here Is, is a GM candidate or excuse me, a manager candidate more appealing because they're a yes man and that it appeals to the front office. Now, who's making these hirings? Are you hiring your yes man because you want to have influence over the manager or does it start going all the way from the top? Well, when it went all the way from the top with the Marlins, They did something that was only done one other time in baseball history, which was fire a manager the year after he won manager of the year. Joe Girardi, after he won manager of the year with the Marlins, he was fired. And the reason why was because Joe told Jeffrey Loria, and this is actually fully corroborated and true, to fuck off. So he told him, get out of my dugout, fuck off. Because he was trying to tell him, the Marlins owner was trying to tell him how to do his thing. And and you know what? Jeffrey Loria is an art dealer, man. Joe Girardi is a, a big leaguer and a good one and, and a manager. And at that point was manager well on his way to manager of the year. So I think I used to look at that from 2006 or seven or whenever it was. And I'm like, it's only gotten worse. I feel like it's almost going to turn into a yes man job.
0: Well, that's a question that we have to answer in the off season. I will leave the podcast. It is approaching way past. I mean, it's way past my bedtime. It's 12, one in the morning. I will leave the podcast with this. Actually, before I leave it with this, Braves are up 3 1. Astros are up 3 2. What's your feel? Quick. And
1: we can't, we can't roll the Dodgers out ever, ever, ever. I think the Dodgers make it interesting.
0: Braves in seven. Albert Pujols. Hit. He had it today. Had the hardest hit ball <laughs> in this Braves Dodgers game at 110.8. Miles per hour. I'm at Peter Apple 23 <laughs> on Twitter. That's Arm Layton 8 on Twitter. You can find us on social media at Just Baseball Fans on TikTok and Instagram, as well as our Twitter at Just BB Media. I will be streaming on Twitch, giving out some free merch. Twitch.tv/slash Just Baseball Fans. You can also find our Discord. Also, go check out the Pillbox Bat Co. Postseason shirt. Arms rocking it right now. My roommate wore it for three days straight over a weekend. He wore it out. Disgusting. Not only is it a sick looking shirt, the feel is even better. And that's what you need in a good t shirt. I love it. I'm a
1: big fan. Pooh still bangs. Check out the shirts. We got some good postseason baseball. And uh thanks for sharing it with us. Look forward to keeping you know going and doing these recaps moving forward.
0: Yeah, we'll literally be back tomorrow. So see you in about uh, 14 hours. Um, That's Arm. I'm Peter. Thank you, everybody.